Hey there, this is Daniel. Thanks for listening to DIY Money. Now, if you haven't already, be sure to give us a five-star review so your friends know that this is a show that they can learn from. Check out our blog at DIYMoney.org. That's DIYMoney.org. Now, enjoy this episode. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the world's hottest, fastest-growing podcast out there. No. Well, we might be both the world's hottest and fastest growing. The fastest growing and I don't know. We are DIY money. And I got to tell you, it's fun. It's fun to see, see though. Here I go with the tongue tie. It's fun to see those statistics. If you're new to the show, I have a Smile Direct. No, they're not a sponsor yet, but they will be. I have the Smile Direct going on in my mouth. And uh, the, the continuous S's make it difficult. All right, we're excited to be you back. You know what, though? Yeah. It's fun to see the statistics when you post the right episode. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah, let's let's talk about how the sausage is made. First of all, we want to we throw out an apology. This is twice now uh, that we have inadvertently put up an incorrect episode, and I appreciate you all being on the ball and reaching out to us uh, and saying, hey, uh, guys, that's the same one as you put up. We are working through that. Uh, we have now a a little bit of a help. We want to introduce Mr. Derek Doss. Derek, welcome to the show, DIY Money. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. How are you? Doing great. Derek is interning with us for the summer, and one of his uh, multitude of tasks on his plate will be to upload the podcast and uh, make sure it is the correct one. Derek, tell the folks a little bit about yourself. I'm from Marshall County, Kentucky. I'm now a sophomore at UK studying finance and economics, and I'm just really happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Derek, uh, we we put on for our intern uh, summer intern program, we have a uh, like a race. It's uh, this, this uh, obstacle course, and huh, I'm just kidding. That's not it. Derek uh, had the I had the privilege of working with Derek in a stock pitch competition at the University of Kentucky in the finance uh, department, and he did an exceptional job with his team and did not have summer plans. So I scooped him up to participate in our firm and help us out. And so we look forward to having him on the show. We'll we'll bring you on every once in a while because I like I want to know your perspective. You're how old? Uh, Nineteen. Nineteen. So I don't have to buy you a beer. That's good. <laughs> Be cheaper uh, that way, uh, and we'll, you know, I, I like your perspective of. Uh, I think we have a lot of 19, 20 year olds that listen to the show. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely be interested in your perspective on money and budgeting and finance. How, I mean, real quick though, you know, what, what do you do? How do you manage? How do you manage your finances now? It, I mean, do you have any finances? I don't know. I don't. I was broke at nineteen. I had no money. But what do you do? Luckily, my parents love to help out with uh, finances and things, but. The most I use is the U.S. Bank app and just check it up on my debit account. So I asked some friends, not some friends, I was taking some kids that I taught from the university, the seniors, down to a, um, a competition in Georgia, and I was telling them that I was making sure my children knew how to balance their checkbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the one of, the, I will not tell you who it was, you, you would know who it was, looked at me and said, well, what, like, what is that? And I, it was kind of a chuckle, but I said, well, making sure you know how much is in your checkbook at all time or in your checking account. And he said, well, isn't there an app for that? 
<laughs> so how do you, I mean, do you, you probably don't write checks, though. Do no, you have, I do. You I do. do. So yeah. how do you keep up with your balance in your checking account other than just the, you know, the U.S. Bank app? Well, at the very front of the checkbook, they have a little log that you can, uh, right now I messed it up. I've put in uh, withdrawals in the deposits line, so I just have to flip those, but... Uh, that's how I do it. I so you are down. old school with old school the actual. Yeah. So that's what I'm teaching my kids yeah. to do right now. So that's good. That's good. It hasn't died. That's I'm happy to hear that. Okay, uh, we'll talk more about that. We'll bring you on other episodes. I I, I just want to make sure you you know we introduced Eric uh, to the to the folks out there today. Um, what are we talking about today on the show, Daniel? Uh, well, we have a topic that may be more niche than some of the topics that we've talked about previously. Uh, but we're talking about it for two reasons. One, it really impacts uh, the people to whom it really applies to. Uh, but two, it also points out a really important truth when it comes to personal finance that uh, in various different circumstances, there's ways or uh, plans that you can put in place to really have some sort of an exponential benefit on your financial life and your future. So today's topic, we're talking uh, specifically for families with special needs children, and we're talking about how to prepare and uh, how to sort of arrange your finances specifically with something called an ABLE account. Now, uh, this particular topic is something that um, a lot of planners, uh, whether they be certified financial planners or not, may sort of have an idea that exists. But like many sort of niche topics, this is something that you really want to talk to somebody who actually really knows what they're talking about. Because when you get into some of these niche topics, uh, there's a lot of sort of things that if somebody's not fully familiar with the situation, uh, that there's a lot of sort of pitfalls. And so uh, we are fortunate, uh, Quint, that you sort of have experience, one, setting this up, uh, funding it and sort of living with an ABLE account. And so maybe share with us a little bit about that story. Okay, so that is, uh, that's a nice segue into what gives us the, uh, the credibility to discuss this. Um, and it's much like other subject matters that I, I, I think you can have a general idea about them, but until they impact you or until you deal with it directly, you, you might not be as incentivized. So, so another brief, just, and I'll be brief, I promise, uh, was the show on savings for college. And if you recall, what we talked about was most advisors, me included, when you are in the business and you come across folks with children, you are taught, as the advisor, to discuss with them a 529 account. Now, a 529 account is under the IRS subsection 529. I don't know what the code is, uh, but it is in regards to college savings. Now, uh, what I realized was it wasn't until I had three children, well, it was actually my first child, that I started to really dig in to saving for my children, and I opted not for a 529 plan. I opted for the combination of an ESA account as well, and I'll explain that in a second, as well as a custodial account, a pure custodial account, a account for my child in their name where I and my wife are the custodian or the guardians of that account until they are 18, and then it becomes theirs. Now, there's a variety of reasons I did that. You can go back to that episode. You can check that out. That's not the subject matter for today. However, our third child 
we knew from a very early on that there was some challenge that that he had. We we were not aware of what. This isn't really going to be a show about that whole uh, uh, process or that whole story, but I, I kind of have to give you some background so that you understand. Um, I started saving for my children when, when, well, when I had money, first of all, so you don't have money, can't, can't really do that, which goes back to having surplus in the budget, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. But started saving for my children and I set up for them, uh, custodial accounts, as I referred to, I did set up ESA accounts for them early on, but I used that for some of the early education, private, uh, school that we did in the, in the early years, which is a benefit of the ESAs. It can be used for that, uh, uh, early uh, education, uh, private, as opposed to waiting for college. But nonetheless, our third child, we realized, had some challenges. We were not sure what for a long, long time. And it was really a fluke that we ended up seeing a geneticist at the University of Kentucky when we found out that our son uh, had a genetic disorder called Fragile X syndrome. Now, Fragile X syndrome is a uh, very unique uh, genetic disorder. Basically, he has and will have for his entire life significant um, learning challenges, and he will be delayed in areas uh, that we all take for granted uh, many, many years. So, for example, he is... uh, Eight, eight, he's eight years old now, and many of his um, daily normal tasks, if you will, or activities, he operates maybe in the four to five year old range. Um, learning uh, and and you know things like reading, writing, etc. You know, again, very very delayed, uh, which is fine. He's a, a blessing uh, for our family, and I know anyone with a child with special needs. Uh, would say the same. It's been an amazing uh, journey, and we are blessed beyond belief that uh, he has, uh, you know, this minimal, in our eyes, very minimal um, disability. But what it did from a financial planning standpoint was it changed our strategy dramatically. Why? Well, odds favor, unless the rules are dramatically different, odds favor that our son, Aaron, will be uh, uh, eligible for Social Security benefits and probably Medicaid benefits um, as early as whenever he is accepted into the to the programs, which have year-long, uh, multi-year-long waiting lists. Um, but nonetheless, at least when he is an adult uh, and past the, the age of 18. However, to be eligible for those benefits, there are pretty extreme stipulations for how much money he can have in his name as well as income. Now, um, what does that mean? Well, that means that basically, and, and you, can, you can look all this up, you know, and I'll let you do your own research, but to qualify for um, SSI benefits, Social Security income benefits, not Social Security disability income benefits, which is a little bit different, but SSI benefits, um, he has to have uh, basically no more than I think it's two thousand dollars in total assets uh, to his name, and I think the income level is like fifty bucks a month. I mean, it's very very low. So if we're building for him 
any type of portfolio in his name, he will then immediately be disqualified from those benefits. So we did two things. And I say we did, we are in the process of doing two things. The first thing we did was we immediately revised our legal documents. We immediately revised our will and my my wife and I have living trusts in place. Uh, that's a totally different subject matter for a different show. But one of the things that we did was we wrote in a special needs trust provision for our youngest son. So for example, if we were to be hit by the proverbial bus right now, uh, there is insurance money, uh, you know, business sale proceeds or uh, value or whatever, assets, et cetera. So there would be assets there for our three children. Uh, they're minors, so they would be put in guardian accounts. There would be guardian uh, guardians appointed that we've designated, et cetera. But if it was split in thirds between our three children and a third went to my youngest son, that would immediately disqualify him for those benefits. We don't want that to happen. So what are we doing? Well, we have designated for him a special needs trust that is to be set up in the event of our passing that money is then diverted to that special needs trust as to not allow him to be disqualified for the benefits and the services that he would normally have uh, at his disposal. So that's step number one. We did that immediately. Step number two, we needed to find a way for us to continue to save money for him for the future without sort of being disqualified again for this, uh, for these benefits and or uh, be able to pay because right now everything is basically out of pocket, uh, additional occupational therapy, uh, any additional PT, any additional speech. I mean, he has some uh, benefits and great benefits through the school system, um, but a lot of this has been and, and will be out of pocket for us, um, which we pay uh, from our income right now. But in the future, if there are big procedures or things that need to be done, uh, we would like to have money set aside for that. But at the same time, we don't want to have an issue where he is then disqualified for those from those benefits because of his asset level. So uh, in 2014, there was legislation that was enacted at the federal level, level, um, and it is literally called, and I don't know the historical background, I wish I did, maybe I should look it up, the Stephen Beck Jr. Achieving a Better Life Experience Act of 2014 was introduced. That is what it's called, the Stephen Beck Jr. I'm guessing that's the delegate who... Uh, uh, proposed the the plan. I, I really don't know, or maybe it was named. Usually it's named after someone um, that has done something uh, important. But nonetheless, Achieving a Better Life Experience, or ABLE, A-B-L-E, -E, -E, Act of 2014, uh, by many considered the most significant federal legislation to address the needs of persons with disabilities uh, since, li literally, uh, since the American Disabilities Act. Now, what what happened with this? It's a federal it's a federal legislation, but it authorized that states can establish tax advantage savings programs uh, for individuals, much like a 529 plan. So, 529 college plan uh, was a federal uh, uh, act that introduced the ability for states 
to develop these plans that could allow people to save for college, et cetera. Well, uh, the the uh, Achieving a Better Life Experience Act of 2014 did the same thing. Uh, you can learn more, you know, at the uh, ABLE, A-B-L-E, National Resource Center, uh, their website, ablenrc.org. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, but nonetheless, we uh, stumbled upon this at doing some due diligence and research, stumbled upon this, and ultimately stumbled upon a, uh, a savings plan that was offered through the Commonwealth of Virginia called the ABLE Now Program, A-B-L-E Now Program. Now, here's what the act and here's what the program uh, is designed to do. We have the ability now to save for our son up to $100,000 in this account that will be invested and will be able to be used for his beneficial needs. That could be anything from things like housing, um, medical treatment, et cetera. There's a tremendous amount of information on their website but we are allowed to save for him in that account. It can grow tax-deferred, be used tax-free, and ultimately not be applied towards his overall asset level, which ultimately would disqualify him from the benefits that he will be eligible for. Now, prior to introducing this, I said we are in the process of doing this. Why didn't we just run out and transfer everything that he had in the custodial account to the ABLE Now account? Here's why. If you remember when we talked about saving for kids, we talked about this little thing called the kitty tax. The kitty tax, which is, if not uh, aware of and if not uh, strategized for, a tax that can really impact your child if you don't know what it is. Daniel, tell us again what the kitty tax is, what people need to be aware of, and then I'll talk about how we are approaching that transition. So the kitty tax, that's uh, kitty with D's, not T's, so the kid tax is tax on unearned income in the United States uh, for U.S. kids. Uh, and what that does is it tries to prevent basically um, parents who put lots of money into the kid's name uh, in VS custodial accounts and so forth, where they earn investment income and then uh, inadvertently or vertently, the opposite of inadvertently, uh, get that money taxed at what would be a lower tax bracket for the kids. Because if essentially if you have high income earning parents and you were to put that money into a kid's account and the kids effectively have zero or uh, very little income, that uh, investment income would be taxed at a very low rate. So the IRS pretty much essentially said, nope, not going to happen. And so uh, they've essentially set levels, and, and these levels uh, tend to update regularly, so you're going to want to Google and check those levels. Uh, but after a certain amount uh, of investment income, the kids will be taxed at what is currently now, under recent law changes, the uh, trust tax brackets, which are going to be significantly higher than the kids' tax brackets, and in some cases are actually going to be higher than the parents' tax brackets. So you actually don't now want to have uh, kids earning a lot of investment or passive income. So what does that mean? Well, at the time of our uh, implementation of the ABLE 
account, the Able Now account for our son Aaron, we had uh, built up a long-term, a decent amount, I mean, not a tremendous amount, but a decent amount of long-term passive investments for him inside of his custodial account. Now, if you recall, I prefer to use approximately half for my kids, half index funds, and then half individual equities or stocks that I like, that I think can provide long-term appreciation, but also can provide great subject matter for introducing uh, the stock market to my children. What ultimately that uh, meant was that he, over the years, has done pretty darn well in that account, to which if I immediately sold everything, would trigger this kitty tax, which I did not want to do. So I have had to do systematic sales and transfers into this ABLE account, which has been okay because, and I didn't look this up before the show, um, you can verify this through their website, but I believe that the annual contribution I can make to the ABLE account is upwards of $12,000 per year. So I could do good chunks per year. I'm not that worried about it right now until he's age 18 because that's when he would be eligible for these SSI benefits. So he has a long time to get there, but I was able to do it, uh, or I am able to do it strategically over the years. So in summary, um, two things we did. We set up a, a special needs trust for our child. We obviously used a lawyer to do that. Secondly, we... Uh, Enact, or utilized the uh, ABLE Act of 2014 through the ABLE Now accounts that are set up through the, uh, not university, through the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, we still get the benefits. They're a federal benefit, um, and, and it's available to anyone. There's some stipulations. Obviously, you have to have some uh, proof uh, of you know, a disability, et cetera. But if you or someone you know has a child or a family member or a loved one with disabilities and, and they are curious about this, please forward them this podcast. If they need to reach out, we'll be happy to help, point them in the right direction. Uh, but it, it is, in my opinion, imperative to make strategic and, and possible changes to your long-term financial plan to make sure you do not put your person of love, your loved one in an adverse position simply because you were trying to do the right thing. All right. Nick's show. I like it. 22 minutes in. Time to wrap it up. We'll be back next week with, with a, a non-niche. With a non-niche show. Not next week. Hopefully in a couple days. In a couple days. According to Derek. <laughs> Thanks, All right. Derek. Remember, friends, the secret to wealth is not that difficult. Live on less than you make, invest the rest, and do so for a long time. Make it a great day. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Be sure to check out all that we have on the blog, DIYmoney.org. And if you haven't already, leave a review so your friends know that this is a show worth listening to.